Hey, this is uh, Mark Mueller, and this is the Avalanche Hour podcast. You are tuned in to episode 3.12 of the Avalanche Hour podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Merrill. The Avalanche Hour podcast is proudly presented by TAS Gazex, an avalanche of solutions. And our good friends at Ten Barrel Brewing, drink beer outside. The goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories, knowledge, and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with avalanches. Bebrew buried is the word of last month. It's been quite a blur for me between all the deep powder skiing and shoveling I've been doing. I'm just coming up for some air with a short break from ski guiding for a few days. And it's a good time to put out a podcast too. Current storm is certainly adding quite a bit of water weight to many snowpacks. The current avalanche advisories reflect that with a spackling of red and orange blotches over much of the national map for the western United States. All this added weight to the snowpack certainly could wake up some deeper persistent layers. Careful snowpack and terrain evaluation is key when heading out into the backcountry. A mentor of mine recently reminded me to not be so focused on the low probability, high consequence events that I forget about the more frequent but less consequential wind slabs or storm slabs that are maybe ever present. I found sometimes it can be easy to normalize the less consequential hazards of smaller avalanche problems while tracking a buried near surface facet layer or the like. It reminded me that even small new snow avalanches in the right terrain can be deadly. Don't get too close to the forest to lose sight of the trees. Our good friends and supporters at Ten Barrel Brewing have done it again. I'm sure by now you've checked out their Pray for Snow movie. That's right, they produce their very own ski and snowboard flick featuring some of the athletes that they support. If you haven't seen it, it's well worth the look. Well, now they've taken a snow cat and turned it into a mini pub. Can you believe that? That's right, the beer cat is on tour right now and may be coming to a ski hill near you. Check out their website for the tour dates. Next time you are trying to decide which tasty micro-brew to take home, reach for Ten Barrel, the brewery that is spreading the most stoke throughout the snow sports culture. Maybe you're all caught up with the podcast episodes, or maybe you are just finding us. Either way, I hope you're finding value in what I'm trying to do here. I started this podcast to present a platform for our community to learn from each other's mistakes, close calls, and accidents. I hope that it would help shift our culture from being ashamed of our mistakes to a place where we can learn from these mistakes, stand behind them, and share our stories with each other in the hope that we are all making better decisions in the backcountry. I need your help in doing this. I need more involvement from our community. 
Do you or someone you know have a story that they wish to share of an avalanche involvement or a close call? Please reach out and join the conversations. We can all learn from each other. I'm super stoked to share today's interview with you. Mark Mueller is a CAIC highway forecaster for Wolf Creek Pass. and He's based out of Pagosa Springs, Colorado. I really enjoyed sitting down with Mark and chatting about his career path, some of the characteristics of Wolf Creek Pass, how he approaches forecasting for the area, and some of the lessons he's learned throughout his career. Get ready to drop in with Mark Mueller. Here we go. All right. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks for making the time. Thank you. I, yeah, my pleasure. It's, it's, it was great. You invited me into your home, and I haven't I haven't spent a whole lot of time in this part of southwest Colorado. It's beautiful right now, and, and uh, glad to be here. Yeah, we're having uh, – it's an amazing day. Um, we had a bunch of snow last week, and so – can actually get out on the snow um it's not always like that but we'll take it it's been dry yeah and this was recorded on october 16th so yeah early season wolf creek ski yeah. area is open already right weekends yeah um and there's a little bit of snow in the forecast for tomorrow kind of remains to be seen like how that's gonna pan out but mm-hmm. uh I would imagine they're planning on another weekend um, and they'll go to, uh, they don't have much in the way of uh, snowmaking capability, but they do have some. And I'm sure they'll keep going weekends as uh, until they can go to full operation. I mean, it's, it's, they have quite a bit of terrain open, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, we picked up 24 inches of snow over five days, a little bit more in some places and uh, high density. And so, um, I, I, you know, it should hang in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So Mark, why don't you start out by giving us your background, how you got to where you are today. You're a CAIC forecaster and, and, uh, just give me, just give us your background. Sure. Well, um, let's see. I grew up, um, South of San Francisco in, in the Bay area. Um, I started skiing when I was in high school. Um, didn't, you know, finished high school in 1970, didn't have any real direction. So, you know, sampled college, didn't really work out. Um, at the same time, there was, I, I don't know, it was kind of, I don't know if you could call it a back to the land movement, but there was certainly a lot of interest in folks going, get, you know, getting out of the city, doing stuff out in the woods, out in the country. And um, uh, that sounded really appealing to me as well. So uh, I went, uh, moved uh, first off to Colorado. This is my third stint living in Colorado and um, worked at a ski area, you know, came back to the Bay Area. And then I went, uh, moved to Tahoe and and um, worked at Alpine Meadows uh, in the in the ski shop there. I had worked in ski shops in, in the Bay Area when I was in high school and uh like when i was there i like found my people and uh that was it was all over <laughs> the college etc that that uh, at least yeah it's hard to know at the time but um and while i was there i got i actually got caught in an avalanche that um in hindsight and it took me a long time to process this uh I was probably pretty lucky to survive, even though I wasn't buried. Um, I got uh, I got caught. I was in this in the ski area. Um, got carried down the slope, um, 
and uh, you know, kind of recreating the scene in my mind because uh, I certainly was unconscious. Um, I think I got hung up in some trees, um, which fortunately I didn't like smack hard, but uh, one of my skis did. And I think the bulk of the avalanche passed over me. And at the last moment, uh, my ski broke and I got launched off this tiny cliff. And uh, when I came to, I was on the surface and um, uh, yeah, hurt. I had a tweaked knee and I banged my head pretty hard. Um, and I had been in a, interested in avalanches at Alpine Meadows. They had a huge program, um, you know, recoilless rifles, hand charges, you know, it seemed super cool. Um, and uh, there was a guy there, Dave Beck, who um, kind of longtime Sierra guy that people in the Sierra probably recognize his name. He kind of wrote the first guidebook to uh, skiing in the backcountry skiing in the Sierra, mostly south of Tahoe. Um, and he was starting up this uh, kind of ski. There was no such term as backcountry skiing at the time, at least that I knew of. It was you either went Nordic skiing or you went ski mountaineering. And he was kind of, you know, working this guide service that um, working up this guide service with uh, Trans Sierra Tours and some of the guys on the ski area on the Alpine Meadows Patrol were guides for him. They were also uh, like rock climbing guides and instructors in Yosemite and all this just seemed like the coolest. Um, and so, you know, while I was, uh, while I was recuperating, um, you know, my folks, uh, you know, they bought me the, the Sierra club ski mountain ski manual of ski mountaineering and, uh, the ABCs of avalanche safety. And, you know, all that went along. And, and, um, after spending a couple of years there, I said, you know, this, this ski area scene is really cool. I, I, I really like this. I want to fit in here. So I came out to Colorado and I went to, um, Colorado Mountain College in Leadville, and they had a, uh, what they call now ski area operations program. At the time, they called it ski area technology. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of a way to, to learn a bunch of skills and um, be able to, you know, kind of take them back to a ski area and be able to do a lot of things, which is kind of what it's all about at a ski area. At least that's what it was all about in the, in the 70s um, was you know, kind of being able to do a lot of different things. And um, one of the instructors there, a guy named Ken Host, I got a got to hand it to him. Um, and I just I just saw him again a couple of years ago at the 50th anniversary of Colorado Mountain College. Uh, you know, he said to me, like, Mark, you can you know, like you can make a life out of this. And um, that really that really stuck with me. And the avalanche thing, uh, more more so than ski patrolling or the medical part, but the avalanche thing was super interesting. So, you know, I plugged away at that. And, uh, you know, when I got out of school, it was a super bad drought year. Um, so 76, 77, uh, very dry. Um, and so kind of bumped around a little bit. Ended up back in Tahoe. Um Bumping, you know, working as a lift operator at Squaw Valley and uh, worked uh, on a lift where there was a lot of hand shoveling to get uh, people from one location to another with the ski patrol. So I kind of bumped into those guys and kind of made myself known. And because it had been a dry year, there was a lot of openings the next year. So I ended up working at Squaw Valley for um, 15 years. I, I got to be, you know, fortunate enough to be ski patrol director for 12 years. 
Um, you know, that finally came to an end as it often does at a ski area for one reason or another. And um, when it came time to move on, uh, I called my good friend, uh, Larry Haywood, who was uh, the ski patrol director at Alpine Meadows at the time. And I said, Larry, I'm looking for a job. Um, what do you know? And uh, he you know, kind of put me on. He said, uh, I hear they're starting up a highway forecasting program in Colorado. And I knew the, the director um, at the time, Knox Williams, great guy, my first boss. And uh, it was just through some, there was some uh, uh, data collection stuff that was going on through the Forest Service and, and a lot of ski areas you know, push data th into that, which is great because you can like retrieve all that now, which is cool. And um, so I knew him sort of and connected with him. And he said, yeah, well, you know, I ISSW was happening that fall. So I went there, networked it hard um, and met Knox and, you know, it wasn't ready to kind of get off the ground yet. Um, there were some just infrastructure things. Um but uh, I met the um, ski patrol director at Wolf Creek, and um, they, Wolf Creek offered my wife, uh, Sandy, and I both jobs there. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, Wolf Creek. That place is cool. And as it turned out, Wolf Creek is one of the places where they were going to uh, open up part of this highway forecasting program. So, yeah, I got a... We're here, we were here a winter, moved into, uh, lived in Pagosa Springs, found a place, and um, signed on with uh, the Avalanche Center and been with the Avalanche Center ever since, <laughs> 25 years now. And um, yeah, that's, that's how it came to be. All right. So, so 92 is the year that CDOT and CAIC kind of got together, right? Is yeah. In, uh, in the, I can't remember the exact date, but in the winter of 92, a highway worker was killed uh, in an avalanche on Red Mountain Pass. Um, and so there was uh, an effort to improve worker safety and safety for the traveling public. And the way to go about that was, you know, they looked at some options, um, you know, and there's, there's just so much avalanche activity on the Colorado Mountain Highways. It's hard to do anything that would be like permanent or, you know, like snow sheds. And so, they felt like they get uh, a, a, the biggest increase in safety uh, with uh, kind of a widespread forecasting program. So um, it started that first year was just the Silverton office. Um, I did go over there, kind of connect with those guys. Didn't really know them at the time, but they became friends. And then uh, the next year, so the, would have been the winter of, well, the fall of 93, I started with uh, CAIC and I've been down in this neck of the woods. You know, it's my responsibilities have changed a little bit, but Wolf Creek Pass is my main responsibility. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about Wolf Creek Pass for those of our listeners that? Sure. Well, we're in, uh, yeah, we're in Southern Colorado. We're really close to the New Mexico border. Um, and uh, it's a known as an area that, can get a lot of snow. Um, it's had an avalanche problem for a long time. Uh, the I think the kind of the, as far as keeping it open in the winter, that I think started in the 1930s. Um, there's been a pretty good weather record kept from several different locations on the past since the 1930s. 
Um, and now that, that kind of continues with the CAIC and, the, and, and myself. Um, and it has, you know, I mean, it's not as, uh, there's not as much traffic, although that's increased a lot um, over the last few years. But there's a significant avalanche problem. It doesn't really have the kind of um, depth horse snowpack that's associated with uh, continental climate. It be, just because its position, it, you know, where it is in the Rockies here and the way the San Juan Mountains kind of shape up around here. But it's so it's more like a um, an intermountain snowpack. So the kind of thing you'd find in Utah. So um you know, there's a number of avalanche paths. We do a lot of avalanche uh, protection and mitigation. Um, and um, yeah, it's, you know, not the highest place. There's a lot of terrain that's, uh, you know, just kind of near and above tree line. Um, but it has some big avalanche paths and in the right kind of storms, it gets it on and it can shut her down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What sort of mitigation work do you all do with the highway department? So, um, on the, on Wolf Creek, I actually, um, forecast for three sections of highway. Wolf Creek's the primary responsibility and that's why I'm here in Pagosa Springs. But, uh, I also forecast for a stretch of highway that's, that is kind of on the New Mexico border, uh, Cumbres La Manga passes, and then a stretch of highway that's just kind of directly north of here, um, Slumgullion Pass uh, around the, the town of Lake City. Um, but you know, in most, in both cases, the, the, you know, kind of the amount of hazard is much less, but I do, uh, do forecast for them. Um, there's no mitigation up by Lake city. Um, and there's kind of small mitigation program on Coomber Slamanga that's mostly involved with, uh, hand charges and, uh, an avalancher. And here at Wolf Creek, our primary tools are, um, the howitzer. 105 millimeter howitzer and um, the avalancher. And mm-hmm. we're sort of phasing the avalancher out. We, I think we'll someday see some remote avalanche control devices, um, but I may or may not see that in, in the time I still spend here. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Be nice though. Yeah. But, so you guys have a, um, a permanent housing for the howitzer? We do. I think we're, I think we're kind of unique in that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so uh, up on the pass, there's a there's a, a shed they call we call the gun shed that's near the top of the pass on the west side. And uh, during the winter, there's a, a howitzer that we keep there, and um, it's very convenient and it's very efficient. Um, and it allows us to just kind of roll up the garage doors and lower the barrel and start banging away at it. Yeah. All right, right on. I I've heard it can get a little windy in there. it can get a little windy it is kind of a wind tunnel i'm not really um i'm not really part of the gun crew and i don't really want to be um my i like my role to be much more about um kind of looking at the whole process and of course my uh my friends on the highway department they uh, you know it's a big kick for them and so you know uh at squaw valley i got plenty of hands-on explosive Mm -hmm. stuff and um yeah, so that's not a big deal. I should mention too that you know we have also have a snow shed on the east side of the pass, and when necessary, and it's not often, the Wolf Creek ski area does some hand charging in that area as well. And that's convenient for them in terms of how they're situated, or yeah, it's that it's um, 
Yeah, I mean, they have a lot going on uh, because when it's going off um, on the east side of the pass, and this is the east side, the primary problem is on the west side of the pass where the howitzer is located, where the avalanche work needs to be done. So when we need it on the east side of the pass as well, it's pretty much getting it on. And of course, so then the ski area, which, you know, they have a fairly good size mitigation program as well. Um, but, you know, it works out. And um, so, you know, and it's something new and different. So I think they enjoy it as well, you know, getting into some new terrain. And of course, anytime you go blasting in something that doesn't get shot very much, um, the results can be fairly spectacular. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it's trees snapping and stuff like that. So I think, I think that's fun for people. Right. <laughs> so Mark, walk us through kind of a typical day of field work for you and, and what type of data you're gathering to relay to the highway. Um, you know, and then, and, and maybe do you have any critical thresholds that are kind of standard or, you know, what does it take to close down the highway? Can you talk a little sure. bit about that? Well, you know, of course it starts in the morning and in the dark with just gathering stuff on the, on the internet. But, you know, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I learned the job by being out on skis and, um, and so that's my primary focus. So after gathering, whatever information um, is available on the internet. And then, you know, communicating with uh, my colleagues at the Avalanche Center and working out what's going on statewide and the different people that are, uh, you know, might have questions about this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, we fill out a, a safety plan, a written safety plan that we review with uh, one of our colleagues before we head out. Kind of just outlines... Um, what we're looking for, you know, what the focus of the field trip is all about. So, you know, over the years, um, you know, the, the, the avalanche paths that affect the highway have kind of um, uh, similar characteristics as far as uh, aspect and elevation. So um, I pick out um, just a route for the day um, and I've picked out some some nice kind of test slopes that'll um, give me some good information as far as uh, character of the snow and what's happening underfoot, uh, as well as uh, for not only the um, the highway but for the backcountry as well. So uh, you know I I have one snow study plot. Um, and fortunately, a lot of the terrain is is pretty easy to access. And um, I think, you know, over the years, I've found it to be, um, you know, good, relevant um, places to do. Maybe it's a snow pit during, you know, nice weather, but maybe during a storm, it's, you know, getting out and just kind of checking places out and test slopes, you know, they're all, um, I mean, they're, they're mini avalanche paths. And so, you know, you're really trying to... Um, create an avalanche and of course ski patrolling and working at Squaw Valley, you know, that was a, you know, that was a big part of it. So I'm, you know, pretty comfortable with all of that. And, um, as far as thresholds go, um, yeah, I think that over the years, um, there's, there's definitely some, uh, scenarios that come together for affecting the highway. And, you know, the highway is interesting because you can, you can have pretty significant avalanche activity, but if it doesn't reach the road, 
you're, you're still pretty good to go. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to try to, you know, pick out the, the period of time when, um, uh, you know, it's, it's getting into kind of yellow, <laughs> approaching red. Uh, what do we call it? We call it a caution as a p- approaching warning mm. um, on our forecasts. Uh, but yeah, I would say that um, uh, three inches of water content and water content's way more important than uh, than snowfall. And um, I think most people know that, but if you don't, that's mm-hmm. works here. It might not work everywhere, but um, three inches of water content during a kind of an extended uh, cycle, which we can kind of get into where you might not be able to identify like storm number seven from storm number eight. Um, if you're getting sustained winds and this is not a particularly windy place. So, you know, winds that would be, uh, you know, gusting into the fifties and sixties would be, you know, that'd be a kind of a red flag. Then, then two inches of water content is something you want to pay attention to. And, um, and then the other thing is, uh, the relationship say between two, two storm cycles, the relationship of kind of the average density from one to another. If we have um, like a cold storm and then two or three days later we get a warm storm, that's definitely a red flag. Mm. Um, if we reverse that, um, it depending on the amounts, it might still be a red flag. But historically, when we look at the historical record, um, yeah, we might see snow on the road, but um, it's going to be much less severe. And over the years, in the 25 years I've been here, our our ability to um, kind of uh, preempt, you know, get in there with uh, the howitzer uh, before things reach kind of a critical level has really improved. And so, um, yeah, so, I mean, the goal is really, and I think this is the part that people don't understand is that, you know, hey, here, you close the road you open back up, there's no snow on the highway and everybody goes, well, like, what was the problem? And, um, but the whole idea is that like, keep the snow off the road because if once the snow hits the road, then the whole closure time just goes, you know, through the, there's no telling. I mean, it's a four lane highway. You put a lot of snow on it. It takes a long time to move snow off four lanes. And so, um, yeah. So is it safe to say that you'd rather have more frequent smaller avalanches than larger events? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the case with, you know, um all operations. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you're trying to do that, uh, stay on top of it. Um and some and sometimes it's not possible. I mean, there's a lot of avalanche terrain on Wolf Creek that doesn't have a name um and may only rear its ugly head like once every 10 or 20 years and we've seen that. Um, and at that point in time, fortunately, um, kind of the more productive paths have already kind of let you know that things are going off and, and, uh, you, you kind of come to the realization that, uh, mother nature has the upper hand and, um, it's time to just shut the gates and then get after it when, you know, things calm down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe this question is a little bit hard to answer. I'm sure, you know, it varies year to year, but on average, how many row closures would you have in an average winter, would you say? I would say average, um, maybe three. Okay. I mean, I think, 
you know, a little bit, a little bit of it depends on the tools we have available. Um, you know, so, so now we can, we can get in there preemptively much easier. So we may close maybe more times, but when we look at the duration and the, the length of the closure, it's much less. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of one of the bigger years that um, I spent here, we had kind of seven major storms. I would say a t- more typical is we kind of have three major storms. Um, and we're going to do mitigation around those storms. If we think, you know, that maybe, uh, you know, pr- prior to that, we can move snow. But if the situation isn't, isn't there, then it doesn't matter how much explosives you pour into it and isn't going to happen. And, and it's probably not going to do anything to keep things happening in the, you know, in the, in the near future. So, um, you know, you just have to have the right, the right, the right scenario. And right now we have the right tools and and the right personnel to really make it happen. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think we, you know, we've got, um, a good program going on. Nice. Could you talk a bit about the kind of weather trends that come through the area? Sure. Well, um, given our position on the, in the in this portion of the Southern Rockies, um, we really benefit from kind of a southwest flow. So uh, you can, uh, if we don't have that, it's going to be a, a dry year. Um, you know, so uh, it like a lot of Colorado gets does really well on a kind of the no, a northerly or a northwesterly flow. And we do kind of per, pu- pretty poorly on that. And it's because there's just too many blocking um, mountain ranges um, mm. that are downwind or uh, upwind of us. So we don't, um, we don't do well on that. So we really need that Southwest flow. And it doesn't mean we won't get snow from the North or something like that, but Typically, just not enough to really be a problem. So, you know, when when it's blowing in from the southwest and we have a big storm, I mean, three, four, five inches of water content, no problem. Um, that's really unusual within the state here. Um, when it blows in from the south, I mean, from the north, it's going to be more like three, four, five inches of snow. Mm. So much, much lighter. And, you know, so oftentimes we get... Um, we don't really get a, a. I mean, compared to the Sierra, where I spent so many years, we don't get uh, like kind of midwinter rain. I've really never seen that happen. I mean, I've seen the rain line kind of boost up a little, but you know, that's it's kind of rare. I mean, it doesn't happen often. Certainly, it doesn't happen every year. Maybe every few um, might happen more in the future, but um, it does. It can be high density. Um, you know, I mean, the, the last, the eight inches I measured on Friday came in at 15%. Um, you know, most people, you know, they like, if, when I used to, uh, share my data elsewhere, they'd go, Mark, are you sure? 15%, that's kind of unusual for Colorado. And, um, but it's not that, you know, I've seen it up pushing 20, Mm -hmm. but you know, then it can get down to as, uh, as light and dry as you might, you know, imagine like, you know, two or three, I've Mm -hmm. seen that, but you know, it really, it's easy for us to like throw it at that kind of 10%, you know, 10% average. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so if you're looking at Snowtail data and you're seeing that, oh, there's this much new SWE, Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's a, you're going to be pretty close. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. And, uh, and it's not a, you know, it's not a particularly windy area. Um, 
when I when you hear about you know how winds get after it uh, in the other part in other parts of Colorado, um, so you just know, due to topography, or I don't know why exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that you know because there's, I mean, if you're if you're standing out at like on the divide at Wolf Creek and and you're looking out to the southwest, I mean, there isn't an there's an interve- there isn't any terrain that's intervening all the way to the Pacific Ocean. So you would think that. You know, boy, you could it could really get after mm. it, uh, but you know, I think uh, the peak wind gust I've ever measured is you know in the nineties, maybe ninety six, something mm-hmm. like that. So you know, not extraordinary. Nothing like, nothing like uh, the Sierra at Squaw Valley, where you know it was it was averaging in the sixties and you know gusting well over a hundred, um, you know, one hundred and twenty. Those things, those that was a you know kind of common. So. Um, so that's kind of nice. Yeah, from a skiing <laughs> perspective, that's awesome. I love yeah. I love snow with no wind. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so it's it's not too bad. But yeah, that's kind of the basic, the basic pattern. You want to see, you know, so when you're looking at the models that are available on the internet, and you're you're looking ahead and trying to plan out your time. Um, yeah, you're looking for that that southwest flow on the maybe whether it's the 300 or the 500 millibar map. Just you know that southwest flow pushing into the four corners, and yeah, that's going to do it. Nice. So you mentioned earlier that that you know you don't have as much depth whore as mm-hmm. other places in Colorado. What are some of the sneaky persistent weak layers that you deal with, or and what are what do you think yeah. is the hardest to forecast for? Well, we have a lot of surface whore, mm-hmm. but I think that's that's pretty easy to pick out. I think what's a little uh, more mysterious is kind of the the mixed forms that it's it's bouncing back and forth, or or it it, it was faceted, but now it's kind of rounded, um, and that's you know that's really a common weak layer here, and I think it's a it's kind of hard to gauge. How much of a, 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 a how much of a threat that really poses, but um, uh, we see a lot of that. But you know the the striations, the cups, uh, don't see that much mm. of that. Just, yeah, do we see it? Yeah, and we especially see it as near surface faceting. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes we're more kind of focused on uh, um, like right now, for instance, we had some snow. It's been pretty warm. Um, this this kind of basal ice layer that might form out of this that might be kind of more of a concern than than that kind of going into kind of a um, depth or regime. Gotcha. Yeah. Would you expect to lose snow up high on on solar aspects? Yes. Like it'll it'll burn off to the ground before it sure could. Yeah. Yeah. I'll All be right. going up tomorrow and I'll take a good look at it. But you know, that that can uh yeah. I mean we're we're at a pretty far southerly latitude. And yeah. so um I mean it it can really get a a lot of sun, it can easily burn off. Sure. This time of year. So, you know, it might take a while for the ha- for there to be a developing hazard on the highway. Mm-hmm. So we talked a bit about how you gather data. Um, I was hoping you could talk about some of your systems or um, I've heard it called rituals lately. I kind of like that term. Rituals to stay safe and gather quality data in an efficient manner. Um, yeah. You know, I think it, it it's easy for folks to head out there as they're progressing through their career or their recreational career and 
you eddy out in a snow pit for all of a sudden it's been two hours, you know, and it's like, wait a second, we're, we're here to gather data and move through the terrain or go skiing and have fun. Right. Or somewhere in, in between a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so as far as, uh, like I said, I think, you know, I'm pretty lucky at Wolf Creek. Um, and I spent, you know, it's not something that happened. I mean, it took a long, you know, I mean, Norm Wilson would have said that, you know, you kind of get to know an area in five years. I would say, you know, in some respects, from a practical standpoint of forecasting stuff, it took longer than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, over the years, I found places that I felt like were um, good representation of conditions on the highway. Um, A lot of the highway avalanche paths are not that easy to get into, but always when you're if you when you do have an opportunity to get in there, if you can compare that to the the conditions you find there to the conditions in what you may think of as your study plots or maybe the the route you take when you're collecting data, I think that's super valuable. Um, so um, I don't do a lot of snow pits, but uh, the snow pits that I do, I do kind of consistently in the same place on a regular basis. Not not the same place, actual same place, but in the same area. So um, I have three or four or five locations like that. And I'll try to, you know, depending on what conditions are like, I'll try to at least visit those monthly, maybe sooner. Depends on, on, the, on the winter. And, you know, really document not necessarily like what's going on, like right at that moment, but how things have changed in the since the last time I was there. And some of those respond to the the backcountry as well, because I think it's really hard to like separate one from the other. Um, you know, it's like you're going to drive up the pass and you're not going to look out the passenger side window. Um, you know, so, so, you know, it's it's uh, you're, you're doing a little of both. People are, you know, people are on all of that kind of terrain. And um, so, you know, like I said earlier, I, I have a, you know, I have a route that I follow that depending on the level of hazard, um, I'll do some ski cutting. Um, in other places, I might drop a little cornice. Um, you know, again, Squaw Valley was like this awesome lab for doing that because, you know, crest of the Sierra, ton of wind, huge cornices. So, you know, dealt with that a lot. Um, and again, you know, good, you know, you're looking for, you know, propagation and depth because, you know, it's all about, you know, for the highway, it's all about how much snow you're getting in motion. And really it's for the backcountry as well, because the more snow you get in motion, the easier it is to get buried and the more snow you got moving, the easier it is to get knocked over. And as soon as you're knocked over, it's easy to get buried. So, mm-hmm. um, but as for the most part, I, I have it dialed back pretty heavily and i wouldn't say that i've always been that way but um uh i think you know that you want to get information but like being safe is like more important than Mm. getting information i think you can get you know there's there's a lot of obvious information out there and i think sometimes when you're kind of pushing it and maybe like like kind of you know shrinking your margin of safety it's information that maybe is not as critical as you may think of it as at the time. And I think you see those kind of things in hindsight. So um, Wolf Creek, the area that I work, uh, that I'm working in, uh, you know, provides me with a lot of good places to go without a lot of uh, exposure to 
um, a lot of avalanche hazard. As far as like what I'm going to do and uh, how I'm going to do it, uh, of course, there's the field safe, the field trip safety plan that we write out every day when we're working in the field, and then kind of reviewing that with a colleague. But the one thing that um, I look at when I'm out in the field and uh, is um, I use the Alp Truth method. You know, I, I ski alone a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife Sandy and I, uh, she's like my main partner. Um, I don't have too many other people that that I well a lot of people don't even want to go with me they want me to show them where to go um, but they don't like like putzing around like I do and you know I've been doing it a while so I'm not the fastest guy on the skin track um, but I like I say I'm slow but I'm stubborn um, so the Alp truth method is or the obvious clues method you know um, I find that to be a really uh, good way to kind of stay objective as to as to what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. Um, and um, should I like explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, that'd be great, Mark. Okay, um, it's a, kind of a U.S. Canadian kind of uh, collaboration as far as. Uh, you know, kind of developing tools to increase, uh, you know, safety. Uh, and they have this mnemonic that they call Alp Truth, and each letter stands for something. Um, I might not have it exactly right, but uh, the A stands for avalanche activity. And to me, it's in the last 48 hours. And a lot of people would say, well, uh, I saw an avalanche on an east slope, but I'm going on a north slope. To me, it's like no matter where you see it, it's avalanche activity. L is uh, loading. So uh, again, more than six, six inches of snow. Um, sometimes, like I said, the wind isn't a big deal here, but elsewhere you might want to factor in the wind part of loading. And again, that's in uh, 48 hours. And then uh, uh, P is avalanche path. Are you in an avalanche path? Um, and of course, if you're kind of um, forecasting in a way, then a lot of times that's a given. You are so you already got one there. Uh, so that's the out part of it, and then uh, the truth part of it is um, T is terrain trap, and I think that's like super important. <laughs> Stay out of the terrain, especially like for myself being by yourself. Mm. And R is for rating. Is it considerable or higher? And um, I remember some work in uh, Canada that was done with avalanche professionals that uh, Bruce Jameson. Uh, talked about, and that's that, you know, amongst that, uh, you know, group, the the jump from moderate to considerable was huge. And so, um, so uh, R is raining. Uh, U is unstable. So are you seeing cracking and collapsing or, you know, observing cracking and collapsing? And then TH is combined, and that's a thaw, and that's rapid thaw. So, um, in their stuff, you know, the more, the more of those that are, that you're observing, the, the more, the more chance there is, there's going to be some avalanche activity. So uh, they wouldn't probably express it exactly like that they have. uh, But, um, but for me, I think it's a, it's a great way to go, especially when you're by yourself, Mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, 
you're you're standing there you're at this like maybe ski test location maybe it's a little bit bigger slope than some of the other locations you have and that's certainly the case and you're going okay like should i just pass on this place today and go to a you know a little more a, a smaller slope or something like that and uh, i think it's just a good way to kind of really quickly okay, I got, uh, you know, I haven't seen any avalanches, but there's definitely loading. I'm definitely in an avalanche path. Um, it's not a terrain trap, but the rating is considerable. I, you know, I've seen a little, you know, and you're just kind of, so for me, when you get to three, it's time to dial it back. Mm. So, and you know, it's, it's, you know, everybody's different and everybody has a, uh, you know, a different risk tolerance, but you know, I mean, it's far for me. I've, I've dialed all that risk tolerance stuff back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I'd, I'd like to, uh, uh, you know, it's been fantastic, but I also want to have an opportunity to, you know, ski the world. And um, so, yeah, I've, you know, it's not as much of a lure to me to like diving into stuff that's, uh, that's, you know, maybe a little sketchy. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way for me to just keep on top of that. And, and, you know, believe me, you know, I've done plenty of things that, um, uh, that I, in hindsight, and even at the time I thought, you know, this was really stupid and for, you know, really poor reasons. But, uh, I hope that I've, you know, do that less and less, but it, you know, every once in a while it still happens and, you know, it's just, this is part of being a person. <laughs> sure. Well, that seems like a great way to keep it objective and, and as well as keep yourself in check. Um, can you recount a time when you've been pretty surprised by snow? Oh, um, sure. Uh, but let me just say this to start that I think like every winter I see something that surprises mm. me. And so uh, I think that always gives me you know, I think all of us in, you know, in, in the snow realize that, um, it's, a you know, it's an ongoing, no matter how long you've been doing it, it's an, it's an ongoing learning experience. And, um, as far as myself, I've been really fortunate in that the things that have really surprised me have not had, um, serious consequences for myself or for anybody else. But, in some cases, that's been uh, more a matter of luck, and uh, it that has been a matter of luck, <laughs> Not, you know. And and you know, I guess you know, there, there's all kinds of sayings around that, but um, yeah. And I think it's you know, you just uh, for whatever reason, you know, there's all the heuristics and there's that mnemonic around that, and I can't really remember all of those, but you know, it's the thing about familiarity and you know you get in the habit of doing things um i'm pretty good about not saying to myself i've always gone here and it's never been a problem i you know when i'm standing at something that i know is an avalanche path i i say i know this is an avalanche path i don't care how uh safe i feel today or um this is an avalanche path and i'm going to treat it like an avalanche path but um you know, as far as the, I think the thing that has gotten me, you know, in the past, uh, at least um, on the highway has been 
you know, familiarity, like, you know, things just, just had, didn't happen in a way, uh, that I anticipated them to happen. Um, and then I look back and I go, you know, maybe I, I look at a picture and I go, wow, you know, that's kind of what just happened yesterday. And, um, and I look back and I say, oh yeah, this happened. Yeah, it was 14 years ago, but look, it happened again. And so, um, you know, and, and you get into a position where you want to be, um, as efficient as possible. And so you can, I don't, I wouldn't call it shortcuts, but you're, uh, you, you do kind of, uh, take things for granted. And, and one of my, uh, mentors, uh, Liam Fitzgerald would say, never take anything for granted. And so, um, without being too specific about anything that's gone on the highway, um, that would be around that. As far as myself, it's, you know, it's just being full of, uh, like, Hey, this is a great day. The snow's great. Hey, look, there's a, there's, you know, that's, that was a small avalanche over there yesterday, but look, it's all covered with snow and look, there's, you know, 10 other people skied here and we've already skied two or three times on, and we're lapping this. Yeah. Those things happen. Right. Yeah. You can kind of talk yourself into a lot of stuff in the backcountry well, sometimes. Easy, it's easy to do. Yeah. I mean, it's way easy to do. And, you know, I, you know, the, I don't know about like the, the wisdom I've, accru- uh, uh, you know, I've accrued or anything like that, but, you know, it's easy to be wrong. Mm. And I think you need to kind of tell yourself that. And, you know, again, I think, you know, if the, the whole Alp truth thing is, I, th- I think, you know, when I look back at, at, uh, some, some of those things I go, yeah, I think I could have, I think I kind of probably picked this out, you know, I think I probably could have picked this out. And like I said, you know, things have, have worked out and, you know, they haven't been serious for myself or anybody I'm with or anybody I'm responsible for. And that's, you know, that's really a key on the highway. I mean, you're responsible for people who might not even know there's avalanches and you're responsible for guys who, you know, for the most part may not be winter recreationists. They're just, you know, they just got a winter job because they have a farm and, and the, you know, this is a good way to keep their farm going. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of guys that I work with in the highway department. So, or just the, the folks on the road, right? They didn't exactly. buy a ticket to the show. They're just oh, trying gosh, to get no. to work. Right? There's, there's no, there's no sign at the bottom <laughs> of the past that says, you know, proceed at your own risk. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. And like, you know, they don't know, uh, yeah, they if the road is open, um, they assume that it's safe, and and we've and I've and and my colleagues have determined that you know yeah there's, I mean is there some residual risk? Well, you know the pros who think about terms like that would say yes, there always is, but I mean we've reduced it to what we consider to be you know that that there's an adequate margin of safety. Sure. Yeah. Are there folks? recreating above the highway on Wolf Typically Creek not. Uh-huh. And that's why we have kind of maybe a, a little bit greater freedom with the howitzer than mm. there may be at, uh, in other locations. There's, uh, it's the highway avalanche paths are backed by wilderness, mm. um, at, with not a nearby trailhead. Um, and we take precautions, um, in the event of a storm and especially prior to shooting where, um, we don't plow places for people to park. Mm. Okay. Intentionally. And so, intentionally. And then there's a whole, you know, process of, 
of no matter how good we feel about it, you know, scanning it the best we can. Sometimes it's stormy and we can't really tell, but, um, you know, we're looking for any clues that may or may not, you know, let us know that anybody's around. Yeah. Well, it certainly seems like you have a pretty good handle of the area after being here for 25 years. It must, must, you must feel pretty intimate with it. Are there any spots that just spook you out that, that, uh, just have always given you kind of the heebie jeebies and, <laughs> and what are some characteristics of those places if they do exist? Well, you know, there are, you know, when I look at, uh, some terrain and when I've, uh, uh, say done ski testing or, um, something similar. I'll just, yeah, there, there definitely are. And typically when I, when I'm looking at terrain and, uh, I'm looking for the spot that is just a little steeper hmm. and I want to stay away from that, you know, so, you know, yeah, it's already steep and, um, and, but there's, for whatever reason, there's this you know, whatever it might be, a little rock reef or something like that. It just gets a little steeper there. That's, uh, those are the kind of places that, um, I really pay, try to pay attention to and, and avoid. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty sound advice for no matter where you're skiing. <laughs> okay. I think That's, probably, yeah. well, you know, I mean, for, I mean, all of us, I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but I don't know anybody who didn't get into the, the field that doesn't love to ski. Right. So, I mean, that's a, that's a common denominator for all of us. And, and I may be in the higher percentile of those people who like to get out and, um, and ski. So, uh, yeah, but I, but, uh, like I said, the, the area here provides me a lot of opportunity to get into terrain that's, you know, not super sketchy. And, um, um, and I, and I basically have a, a fairly conservative, of, of approach to it mm-hmm. you know i like i said i every year i see something that surprises me i don't want to be involved with that something when it happens so sure you know but uh yeah all of a sudden you look over and on this beautiful day here's this huge nice size three mm-hmm. deep slab that pulled off this place and you go gosh i didn't really think that was going to happen today mm. yeah <laughs> stuff like that you know so, and here in, in this area of the, of the, of the Rockies, the Southern Rockies, where typically we have a pretty deep snowpack and oftentimes we, we don't have a lot of say, um, persistent weak layers or that, um, uh, you can kind of get lulled into a false sense of security. And then a kind of a dry year comes along where you have a thinner snowpack mm. and yeah, you have a lot more persistent weak layers. And so you have to be be on guard for that. And I think, uh, you know, there, yeah, it's been, you know, last year was not great. Uh, uh, the year before was, you know, super deep, one mm-hmm. of the deeper, deeper winners. If, you know, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to kind of watch that balance and um, pay attention to that. Right. Because for the, from the standpoint of the highway, um, it doesn't matter how much new snow you have. If you're not pulling old snow layers with it, it won't reach the road. Right. Okay. You look at it from the road, you say, wow, that looks really close to the highway. When you're up in the starting zone and you look down on the highway, you say, wow, it's uh, it's a long way to the highway from here. I think it's from that, thinking about that, I think it's really important to like visit every starting zone. Mm. You know, like actually be there, like feel the vibe or whatever. Right. You know. 
And and do you travel around there in the when there is no snow on the ground? Typically so, not. It's actually sketchier because oh, really? it's so steep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, yes and no. But uh, usually, you know, you can kind of skirt it and, and yeah. look at it. But um, no, I try to get out there m- mostly when it snows. It's just easier to get to, and uh, um, the. The, kind of the Wolf Creek Pass area and other areas around here, they they kind of have a kind of a volcanic history. So there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, cliff bands uh, that you got to negotiate and uh-huh. uh, find your way through. And a lot of those are pretty steep. And so, yeah, it's, in fact, yeah. So. Well, I hope to get down here and, and ski around with you at some point. Yeah, since it'd be I've fun. Never, never skied here. Um, you and Sandy also have a yurt. Would you care to talk just briefly about the yurt and how yeah. people could find out about that maybe? Sure. Well, there's um, uh, my wife, Sandy, and I, we have a little outfit called Wolf Creek Backcountry, and we have one yurt that we've uh, had in the Rio Grande National Forest now for a little more than 20 years. It's a nice little spot. Um, We're skiers. She's a lifetime skier, skiing since she was like two. And uh, we picked it out because the skiing was good. It's relatively easy to get to. Um, It's... uh, really friendly terrain there there you know there's uh, a couple places that are avalanche slopes that we know of um but for the most part it's it's not avalanche terrain so mm-hmm. it's easy to get to and it takes advantage of the abundant snow that we oftentimes get not always and um yeah if you you know if anybody's interested you can check it out on wolfcreekbackcountry.com awesome yeah I'd yeah like, it's fun i'd like to it's check fun. it out sometime yeah um, it's been a great little uh, sidelight, you know. It's it's uh, a labor. It's not a labor. It's fun, but it's you know. It's, <laughs> we love it. It's it's out in the woods, and you know, no matter how much work we have to do when we get out there, it's just like, wow, this is this is cool. Yeah, does it book up pretty regularly? <laughs> yeah, there's always there's always some. If you have if you have weekdays available, there's always you can always get in there. Yeah. And early season, oftentimes we have really good early seasons that. Um, People don't take advantage of, and I think it's because people don't make um, plans for HUD or your trips on the fly. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going with my friends, and we're going in January, mm-hmm. and you know. But oftentimes we have really good early season conditions, but uh, we don't see people say, "Wow, I do you know? Do you see that? You know, we got this much. They got this much snow, and look, this weekend in early December's open. You know, let's round up some people. So yeah." And then we don't have great spring skiing. And so um, by the time, even late March, but certainly by April, if you want to catch good skiing, catch it on the day it's snowing because as soon as the sun comes out, it's cooked. Especially because you're so far south. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, Well, Mark, it's been awesome to sit down and talk about your career (laughs) and and the work you do as a forecaster. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Any any last-minute advice to younger avalanche professionals? I, I There's been a lot of advice in this talk so far, uh, uh, but any any last-minute well, nuggets there? Um, well, I already said it, it, it's, you can be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing is I think you really own your mistakes. Um, don't blow it off. Um, and don't just own it to yourself. Own it to the people that you work with. Like, hey, this was a mistake. This is... This is the decision that I made. This is why I made it. Um, but it was the wrong decision. And because obviously, you know, if, 
if we had planned on this large avalanche reaching the highway with all those trees, um, we would have done something different. Um, and really own that. I think that's, I think that's important uh, because that's the way you learn. Um, and, and just, you know, I hope everybody learns, you know, and is lucky in, in the learning like I've been. Like from day one when I got caught in that avalanche at Alpine Meadows, I mean, that was luck. Mm. I, you know, as far as I can, you know, did, it took me a long time to process that. I mean, years, years mm. and years to process that. But, uh, yeah, I was just lucky. I, I, mean, I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> I'd gone to one little avalanche awareness talk. Even, even that wasn't, you know, saw a forest service film about ski cutting. That's all I can really remember and go one at a time. Those were the two things I remembered. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And as far as younger folks, if you want to get into, um, the field, um, yeah, just, uh, there's lots of avenues. There's lots more avenues than when I started, but, um, whether it be, you know, guiding or, or forecasting or ski patrolling, I think ski patrolling is an awesome way to, uh, to get started because, uh, you're not avoiding, you're going to see a lot of avalanches at an area that does a lot of avalanche control. And that was, you know, what I saw at Squaw Valley. I mean, there was some, went through some amazing years, saw some amazing avalanches. Fortunately, everybody made it. Knock mm -hmm. on wood, um, you know, but, uh, um, and, you know, yeah, learned a lot. So um, just keep plugging away at it, you know, you know, live your, you know, like, like Ken Ho said to me, you know, you can make, can make a life out of this. And so I would encourage anybody who has that um, dream to do it. Yeah, it's been, I couldn't have been more lucky, couldn't have been more lucky. Right on. Well, thanks for taking the time, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thanks yeah, for being it was on the fun. show. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm a little flattered that you uh, chose me to come and interview, to be honest with you. I kind of live out on the fringe here. Well, it was well worth the trip. Cool. Thanks, Caleb. All right. Cheers, Mark. Well, there you have it, folks. What a blast that was to sit down with Mark. Humble, experienced, approachable, fun-loving. Just a few traits that pop into my mind that describe Mark. I hope you're continuing to have a great winter out there, Mark. As I said in the beginning of this episode, I need your help. If you or someone you know has a story to tell that others can learn from, please reach out and we will help tell it. You can find a contact form from my website, www.theavalanchehour.com. You can also find links to other episodes, contributor bios, and even a store where you can help support the podcast by buying some gear. Check it. Thanks so much to TAS Gazex, a company of MND Group, for your support from the very beginning. These guys give so much support not only to this podcast, but to the whole community through contributions to A3, support of regional snow and avalanche workshops, and the ISSW conference. And I haven't even mentioned the great remote avalanche control systems that they design, build, install, and maintain all around the world. Music today was performed by So Down, with permission of the artist. Featured tracks on this episode were Future and Same Same. Find more awesome tracks from So Down, including free downloads on SoundCloud. Artwork for the show is by Mike T. Thanks a bunch, T. 
Don't forget to enter the snow sog giveaway from Primo Snow and Avalanche by tagging at the Avalanche Hour podcast and at Primo Snow and Avalanche in an Instagram post. Next winner will be announced on the 15th of March. Big shout out to Michelle for being such a dedicated listener. Enjoy your support. KG misses you. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, and keep having fun out there. Cheers. Cheers.